So, with that, we're going to be opening a Bible this morning, and we're going to be continuing our series in Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, looking at verses uh, 14 through to 21. Robert, our Bible monitor for this morning, will come and uh, give you a Bible if you'd like one. Anyway, we're going to be reading Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through to 21. And it reads this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to this, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can, all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Let's say it together. Amen. <laughs> you know, as we've been going through the, the, the letters of Paul, certainly as we've been going through Ephesians, um, I imagine, you know, we're kind of we're left to imagine, what was Paul like um, before the Damascus Road experience? We have like a brief snapshot. He, I mean, he appeared in Acts at the, the stoning of Stephen. And then he was on a, a mission, you know, to capture and arrest and imprison uh, anyone who followed Jesus. But then it all changed, didn't it? So what we know about Paul, his, his character, his, his nature, anything about him, it's just a very brief snapshot. And what we largely get is the Paul we know now the man of the epistles, the, the man of the church, the evangelist, the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. So as to a degree with our imagination, I, I'm left wondering, what was Paul like? Or what was he like before he met Jesus? Well, we do know that in himself, he was a, he was a gifted man. A, a, he, was, he was a wealthy man. He had a class A Jewish heritage that was to be envied. And he also had a Roman citizenship that was his by birth to boot as well. So he really had it all. And I wonder, and I'm not speculating here, and I'm only drawn up from the brief glimpses we get of him prior to Damascus Road, but I imagine he was quite a self-confident person, quite assured of himself. But yet, encountering Jesus, things changed, didn't it? He became a very different person. And as Paul says himself in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I considered everything that made me who I am, who made me somebody special, somebody to be recognized, and somebody to go, wow it. He says, I consider it all rubbish to know Christ. Refuse. You know, it's difficult to find a Bible translation that puts it uh, really in the terms that Paul wants to put it, dung, <laughs> manure, <laughs> that's how strongly he says it. 
everything that we would think, oh yeah, that makes me somebody. He says, you know what? It's a lot of rubbish compared to know Christ. Paul was a very different man from the man he once was. In lots of ways, but the principal thing that marks Paul now, and, and in a sense should mark each and every one of us, is humility. Humility. Before God, a submission, an absolute submission to God. A dependence, a surrender to God. You know, surrendering to God is where the victory lies. It's funny that, isn't it? It's, it's almost like a paradox. But in surrendering to God, you actually become victorious. Let me read to you again those opening verses. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He says, I kneel before the Father. Obviously, he's, he's referencing the, the, the fatherhood of God, the, the, the father nature of God. He kneels before the Father in prayer. You know, when we think of Father today, it comes with many different connotations, but in the ancient world, it was a very clear understanding of what it was, what it meant. When you spoke of the Father, it, certainly in everyone's mind, it was unequivocal, absolute authority. He was the, the, the premier figure in the family household, in society even. In the cultural first, uh, household, his, his word was the first and the last. His initiative and his completion was always the first and the last. His was the seat of power and finality. It was the same in both the Roman world and in the Jewish world. In every aspect of the ancient world, the father was a premium person and therefore Paul doesn't have any problem with saying I kneel before the Father God is supreme absolutely and it's his sovereignty in our lives isn't something to be avoided or resented but it's something to be embraced and Paul demonstrates this with those, those words, I kneel before the Father. It poses a question to us, even today. How easy do we find it to submit? Does it, submission come easy to you? You know, when we consider the will and the, the purposes of God in our lives, are we, are we always quick to give him our full attention and attentiveness? Are we a bit more like the TV's playing and we're like pretending we're listening, but we're really not. <laughs> you know, our, our focus and our attention is on something else. I know that happens in our household. <laughs> Sometimes our appreciation of God is a bit more like we consider him like a, you know, like some distant relative eking out his last days in a retirement home and we feel obliged to go and visit him occasionally. That might sound a bit harsh, but if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we're a bit like that. Maybe <laughs> with our distant relatives, but certainly with God as well. You know, God wants us to submit 
to be like Paul, to be in submission. As Paul says, he is the originator. He is the creator, the source of all things. He is the beginning and the end is in him. He says, in every family, in heaven on an earth, find their origin, their purpose, their reason. It's all in him. It's from him everything emanates, it starts from. It finds its beginning and it finds its end and it finds its purpose. You know, whether every family on earth recognizes or not, that is where we originate from. We belong to him. Paul's kneeling his naturalness and taking up this position, if you like, this, this pose, in kneeling before the Father. It's an indication of his attitude towards God and towards Jesus. It's a, it's a position that Paul finds extremely comfortable, very easy to adopt. In a sense, you could say, well, he's learned it off by heart. Well, it's, yeah, but it's a reflection of his heart, of his attitude, of his mind. Everything that he is is an utter submission to God, is a dependence on God. Sometimes we find it difficult to call for help or to rely on somebody else. We want to be self-independent. We want to be able to do it ourselves. Paul doesn't have a problem whatsoever with leaning on God. He models it. He models it to us. He encourages us to be like that. You know, it's speculated it's probably been, what, 25 years since Paul's Damascus Road experience the day when he wrote this letter. And in that time, Paul has certainly grown. He's grown in his understanding, his depth of love towards God, but also towards other people. You know, if there was ever a person who you could say has modeled what it means to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, Paul would be a pretty good example, wouldn't he? And this is the ultimate objective of Paul's prayer for every Christian, for these Christians that he's writing to. But his prayer still stands today as well. That we should grow in our love. In our love and our, our servant attitude towards God. To grow in it, to increase as he says, to, that we would experience God's power through his spirit in our, in our being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. You might interrupt and say, well, well, don't they have that already? Well, yes, they do, but there's always a capacity for more. If you could have Christ as a tenant in your life or as a landlord, what would you say? What, what would you choose? Well, I'm answering it for you, but I hope the answer would be, yeah, to be the landlord. <laughs> but I know that when we look at our own lives and I look at my life, sometimes I treat them more like a guest or a tenant rather than as a primary landlord. You know, some of you know that we had a, well, my in-laws staying for an extended period of time. <laughs> And it really was lovely. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> but there's that thin, almost unspoken 
rule between when someone's a guest in your house. There's certain things that it's never said, but it's expected or unexpected. Certain things they shouldn't be doing or some things they should do because it's my house. <laughs> I can say this because I'm not here. One of the biggest frustrations was that they'd have cups of tea endlessly and they would never wash them up. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll tell you another funny story. This has nothing to do with in-laws. When I first arrived in Aberdeen, this is me in, in my first home. And my dad and everybody helped him come up and helped me move in. And you know, it's a, it's a weird thing. It annoyed me. This was now my first home to myself. This is my place. The first person to use the toilet was my dad. <laughs> it really annoyed me. I never told him that. <laughs> Cut that from the <laughs> recording as well. Because <laughs> this is my place. <laughs> but do you see it? I mean, I know we're having a joke and a laugh, but sometimes there's some areas in our life where we say... Kind of, we deliver an unspoken rule to God or to Jesus say, listen, you can have run of this place, but don't go in there or don't go up there or don't do that. You see? And if we're talking about submission here, it really is we're being asked to hand over the keys to him and to let him have run of the place whereby he becomes the landlord. In a sense, we become the tenant. You know, Jesus is described as the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the object, but he's also the principal example. The template that we aspire to be like. And it would be impossible but for the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is that deposit, that guarantee of what is yet to come, that is more to come. And his role is to actively seek, seeing more of that likeness of Christ taking root in our lives. Seeing the likeness of Jesus being established in us. And that's what Paul is really praying for. And you'll find traces of it in every letter that he writes. This is his goal for everybody who confesses Jesus, that they would grow in Christ. Grow more in love with Christ. To see Christians grow, to make progress in their relationships with Jesus through loving him more, allowing Jesus to expand our horizons, if you like, and see that wellspring of love just bubbling up more and more and more, not to become a, a dry and petering out kind of thing as if it's seasonal, but just to grow and grow and grow in our understanding and our experience of Jesus. You know, just by Paul saying, I kneel before the Father, there's a call in that for us to do likewise, to submit, submit completely, keep on submitting more and more. You know, we submit once and you think, well, I've done it all. <laughs> you soon discover, oh, well, maybe not quite. <laughs> keep submitting. It's almost like the opening of the door and letting the, the fullness of Jesus come in. Maybe today it's just opened a little crack and say, well, I just let enough of that Jesus in. I'm not too sure, but you know what? Throw up the door. Throw it wide open. 
Let Christ come in completely and utterly and overwhelm your life. Paul goes on to say, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul is expanding on this prayer that he started in verse 14. His prayers is that they would be rooted and established in Jesus. I remember a couple of years ago, we had this uh, big pine tree in our back garden. And uh, we kept talking for long enough we were going to get rid of it. It was one of those pine trees that didn't have nice needles on it. They were jaggy. And if your ball ever went underneath it, you were like, it's right, get a stick or whatever. You didn't want to go near it. So we finally made a decision, let's get rid of this thing. And so we got a professional outfit in and cut the thing down but we were left with a stump and I thought give you enough I'll give me a day and it'll be gone <laughs> yeah you don't know it laughing at me <laughs> it didn't take a day it didn't take a week <laughs> it took months <laughs> the brute I never realized the extent of it the length and the depth at which it went saws axes crowbars spades, shovels. <laughs> I was at it every day. Oh, I, I, I can't remember actually how long it did take me. I, eventually, I got as much of it out as I could that made it, I could do whatever I want to do, but they're still there. There's still the tendrils of it going under the earth everywhere, under the neighbor's garden, under my garden, and all over the place. You know, and it, that's what Paul is praying what it would be like for us and our love and our commitment and our fellowship with Jesus to be so rooted and established. And the reason for it is so that we might withstand any assault that comes against us that seeks to undermine that relationship between us and Jesus. You know, we need to remember that Paul is writing to these young Christians who are living in a time when, just by confessing the name of Jesus, their very lives were under threat. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. They were starved. They were burned. They were fed to wild animals. You know, the horrors that they endured, uh, the things of nightmares but it was a relevant reality for them. And even today for our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, this still happens. For us here in Inverurie, our opponents are of a very different nature in this day, in this time, at the moment. But we need the prayers of Paul just as much as they did. You know, Paul is encouraging us to pray for one another. I mean, more often we, we, we're quick to pray for one another in a moment of crisis, which is wonderful and, and rightly so. But what about just in the everyday, normal everyday part of our, our, our routine, our normal lives? 
Can I suggest a, a radical idea to you? That we pray for one another. You know, it, it, we, it's the, the Lord's model of prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we pray for our daily bread and we pray for forgiveness of others as we forgive and so on. But there's room in that to pray for one another as part of your daily devotion to God. You know, the people that you know within this congregation, bring them before God. Ask that they would be rooted and established in love. That is perhaps the greatest thing that we could ever pray for one another. Because principally, it is the thing that will see us through every storm in life. That we are rooted and established in Jesus. Can I encourage you from today, as you pray to remember as many folks here. And if you don't know enough people, get to know more folks so you can then pray for them regularly. And just ask that simple prayer that they would be rooted and established in Christ. You may not see the, the fruit of it, but the person themselves will certainly experience it. Let's do that as a congregation. Let's be actively praying for one another. As I say, certainly in the crisis moments, but also just in the everyday humdrum things of life. That our experience, our knowledge, our, 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 our fellowship with God would just continue to grow because there's such a capacity for more. There is a reason for it is because sometimes in our natural selves we set a boundary on how much we think or we think I can do for Christ. You know, the bar that we set is so much lower than what Christ can do in and through us. You know, we say, you know, I, I, I can't forgive that person. No, I won't say sorry for that. Or, I, 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 no, they can't expect me to do that for this or for that or for that reason or for that person. And you know, and you're right. You can't. In the natural selves, you can't. But as we begin to have a fuller experience of the living presence of Christ in us, you will literally <laughs> inflate. You will become a bigger you. You see, the graces that you will be capable of the things that you will do, the things that you will say will be beyond your measure. Because it's no longer you who is capable of it. It is Christ in you who is capable of it. And he so much wants to do it. But because we have restricted as to how much we are allowing the presence and the love of Christ to operate in us, we will never reach those heights. So therefore, as I said before, let us be open to Christ and let us continue to pray for one another that we would continue to grow in our faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ, that the fullness of him will enter in. And as he does so, the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we are capable of will just expand beyond our wildest, wildest imagination. You know, James refers to Elijah. He says Elijah was a human being even as we are. You know, Elijah, the prophet from the Old Testament, and we read his story and we think, wow, he was like a superhero. <laughs> he did so many amazing and wonderful things. But James reminds us he was a, a regular guy like you and me. For he was completely submitted to God and he was completely in love with God. 
And he wasn't willing to restrict what God was capable of. You know, we're not writing any new pages of scripture, but somebody could well be speaking about you in a hundred years' time because of your, the way that you submitted and the way that you allowed God to operate in your life to an extent that you never thought was ever possible. Can I encourage you this morning? There is so much more of Christ that you have yet to experience. So much more. As you experience more of him, it's not like you become a bottomless well. It overspills. It overspills and it keeps and it spreading and it goes further and further than you can ever imagine. It will transform and affect other people's lives in a way that you never thought possible. So my prayer for you this morning is as well that you be rooted and established in Christ. Let's pray that for one another. You know, in this prayer, we find the meaning of life as well. Let me read to you the closing verses. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can all, than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all, all generations forever and ever. Amen. Does anyone remember? Um, it started off as a BBC radio program. Um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It transitioned from radio to book, and then it became a film some years ago. And uh, in the midst of all the misadventures of the hero, he discovers that he was part of a, the Earth was like a planetary-sized computer, and he's the last bit, the only bit remaining. And it's in him to know what the meaning of life is. And uh, right at the end of the show, you discover what the meaning is. Now, this is a spoiler alert. <laughs> and I'll tell you what the answer is. 42. <laughs> Bit disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think the, 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 the character himself was all that impressed. Some people say, well, it's an answer at least, isn't it? But there's lots of people who wander through life, question and wonder and ponder, and what is the purpose? What is the meaning of life? And they never know. They never discover their purpose or their meaning. Some people think, well, you only live once, I'll live it to the excess and go out in a blaze of glory. That isn't the meaning of life either. You know, here we see glimpses of it. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Jesus, being with him, knowing him, bringing glory to him, that is our purpose. That is our reason for living. We were created for eternal life. If there was one thing you could be sure of in this universe, is that you and I were created for a purpose. Our ultimate eternal purpose is to praise him, to glorify him, and to bring glory to his name. You know, we have glimpses of that when we come together and we lift up his name in worship. When we experience him in, our, in ourselves, we have this unadulterated joy in his presence. You know, as the psalmist says, in his presence there is joy. 
That's what we were created for. To know him and to glorify him. To experience him more and more and to ever grow and increase in that. You know, I've shared this before. There's a little booklet. It's called the Westminster Catechism of Faith. Some of you might have even read it. And it's like a a little uh, summary, if you like, of the Christian faith. It was written by the, the, the reformers. And it opens with this, this question, what is the chief end of man? And it answers it in a, a completely unashamed way. And it says the purpose of man is that we should glorify God and enjoy him forever. Jesus said himself that this is what eternal life is. That we should know the one and only God and the one whom he sent, Jesus Christ. You know, there's a funny incident in, in, the, in the Gospels in Luke chapter 10. And it's that situation where Jesus comes to lunch or dinner at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. And, uh, and it's a very domesticated scenario where Jesus is through in the room giving some chat. And uh, I don't know if Lazarus was there or not. He's not mentioned. But Mary is certainly sitting there where it would have been unusual. And you've got Martha through in the kitchen, you know, um, getting annoyed. <laughs> and I think we can all relate to Martha to some degree. You know, I'm doing it all by myself. He should be helping me and she's not doing anything. Do anybody get any thanks for this? No. Does anybody know what I'm, what kind of day I've had? No, I don't know, but here I am and they really like my food. You know, you can, you can empathize with a degree, can't you? And then she just boils over and she loses the plot and then she... You know, she goes through, Jesus, will you speak to Mary? Tell her to get out of that canyon and get busy. <laughs> Have anybody ever done that? Well, maybe not with Jesus, but, you know, you're, you're boiled over and you've just <laughs> vented your frustrations because you don't feel like you're the one that's doing it all and nobody else is, recognizes or bothering. You know, I love it. We don't know what actually Mary, Martha's response you know, and Jesus could have got two responses. We're going to get hit in the head with a frying pan. <laughs> or she might have, and I hope this is what happened. She went, right. Because what Jesus said to her is that Martha, Martha, there's so many things to get anxious about, but there's only one thing that's important. And Mary's chosen it. And maybe it's a, a hint towards her to say, you know what, Martha, your, your food's lovely. But just come and, and sit with us. Just be together. Just be in our presence. And the reason I pick up on this is because sometimes we suffer the danger of making our acts of service the main thing. Whether it be to our spouse or whether it be other people or sometimes even towards God as a qualifier. That's what makes me special. That's what my purpose is. I, I'm the one who, I need to go out in the street and tell people about Jesus. That's what qualifies me for the kingdom of God. As we continue down that track, it even becomes our qualification for eternal life. It's not. We get mixed up sometimes where we think it's the acts, the service, the purpose, the thing that we do is the main thing, but it's not the main thing. He is the main thing. He is the main thing. 
at the end of the day, it's not about me and it's not about you, but it's about him. Always about him. And he invites us first and foremost, before any activity, before anything else that we might do or say, we just get to know him. Spend time in his presence. Because that in itself is the transforming effect. That's where the transformation begins. By knowing him, experiencing him, being loved by him, beginning to get our minds around the fact, how could he love someone like me? But yet he does. And I'm finding myself being transformed by it. It's a bit like, do you know when you've been in a bath for too long and your skin, you, you notice it in your fingers, it starts to go wrinkly. You're going to experience a transformation, a physical one. It's similar to what we experience when we come into the presence of God and we get to know him. We experience an inner transformation, an inner transformation. And it's not for doing anything, it's just by being there. Spending time in his presence, in his company, growing in our knowledge, not academic knowledge, in our love relationship with him. We grow, we expand, we increase. We find ourselves overwhelmed and just by being in his presence we are transformed. You don't have to have mastered every and knowing all the pages of scripture. You don't need to know Greek or Hebrew. You don't need to have read the Westminster Confession of Faith. You just need to know him. And that is the starting point. That is the root. That is the thing that gives growth to everything else. To know him. Experience him. And be transformed by him. You know, each of us here, we all get different um, stories. Where we've came from. Where we started. Some of us have been walking with the Lord for so many years. Some of us have maybe just started. Maybe some of us just begin to ponder and realize, ah, maybe can I invite you this morning and remind you this morning that you haven't reached the end yet. <laughs> Not by a long shot, but go and continue on the journey with him. You will become a greater person, greater than you can ever imagine. You will become as Christ because Christ is taking root in you. He's taking shape. He's taking form. You're growing and your affections for him. And as you do that, your affections and your ability to love and affect other people's lives will, will grow as well. But it starts with just being with him. You know, some people say that you can tell, you can own somebody's a Christian. I remember when I first arrived in Aberdeen, one of these people I met didn't even know her. I had a sense about her. I was like, I wonder if she's a Christian. I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't identify what it was that made me think that. But that she was. <laughs> but it must have started in the fact that she spent time in Jesus' company. And that's the same for each and every one of us. The more we spend our time, our company with him, it will do so much more for us than we can ever possibly imagine. And it will affect the change and transformation in other people's lives that you might not have to actually work too hard on because he's did the initial work in transforming you. Shall we stand?